When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, hello out there, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy Flynn McLean. And Flynn, once again, we asked and we have received. A new archive has arrived, and certainly it's one that I wanted. <laughs> yes, you've been a cheerleader of this one for, for years, I think, uh, ever since St. Louis 08 came out. You've been wanting the show right before in in Nashville, and uh, here it is, and it sound it sounds phenomenal. It sounds just absolutely great, and yeah, the audience recording that we had for that we've had for fourteen years is uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. So this uh, excellent mix from John Altschiller just is very welcome, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, the audience recording left a lot to be desired on Nashville. I never listened to it much, which was really a contrast. Before we had the St. Louis official release, there was an excellent IEM audience mix that I, if if it was on tape, I would have worn it out. But since it was digital, <laughs> I just listened to that over and over again. So it's great to have this Nashville show and what a night it was, the intensity, the performance of the band, Bruce's voice, all top-notch. They were playing so great in that August period, and they peaked two nights later with the St. Louis show. But this show was, it wasn't quite as good in my opinion, but it was up there. This was one of the better shows I've seen in the reunion era. Yeah, you and I were talking uh, off off air about it, and, and the fact that it did start off kind of Pretty standard, actually. No, no real holy crap moments until you got to got the song six with "Good Rockin' Tonight." But uh, once it uh, once you got to "Good Rockin' Tonight," it, it kicked up uh, in terms of the set list. Growing up with the guitar story and "I'm Going Down," "Held Up," "Loose Ends" or "Loose End," however you want to put it, and then certainly "Mona, She's the One." That was uh, that was quite a moment too. It was, but I don't want to skip over those first four songs because the Radio Nowhere in particular was pretty rampaging and you could feel it. There was something going on. The whole month there was something going on. Even though the set list was fairly standard there to start, it was not a standard show. Now, once he started picking the signs, you're correct. There were five requests in a row which you just named, and he also did the story mixed in with Growing Up, which was requested on the Growing Up sign. So that was a superb segment of songs. But even after it ended, uh, Youngstown, Murder Inc., uh, this Murder Inc. is, I thought my speakers were going to explode the first time I, I heard this release on Friday. That's how good that Murder Inc. is. Oh, I could definitely definitely agree with you there. And to me, the the... What I love is just the drum sound sound throughout. It's you're not just hearing it; you're actually feeling it, and that's that's the way I like my drums to sound. It's really much in your face, and especially on songs like Murder Inc., as you said, and then Badlands, and uh, and No Surrender, and even even out in the street from that first drum beat was it was like, yep, this is going to be in your face here. 
Now, that's not to say that there were no miscues on this night, because at the end of Mary's Place, the band went way off track in what is very entertaining fashion with Bruce giving commentary as the song is breaking down. (laughs) It's one of those things that when a show is this good, that kind of mistake actually can even elevate it further because he's having such a good time and you can hear it in his voice on this release, how funny he thinks it is at that moment. But well, man, this is the, the whole show was great. Right. And I can't tell who screwed up there. I, I think it was actually Bruce. I think he went into the let it rain just a little bit too early. Yes. And, That's what uh, it appears. Yeah. And then the band had trouble catching up and he had trouble catching up with the band. But uh, as you said, it all worked out really well. And it was I'm sure it was a very fun moment at, at the show. Yeah. And the I Walk the Line, which, as you can hear, if you've heard the release, is totally impromptu, again, off a sign into a beautiful version of I'm on Fire. Just the main set was fabulous. Now, I think one of the things that definitely separates this from St. Louis was the encores. The encore set in St. Louis was (laughs) mind-blowing. Here was not quite to that level. We did get the tour debut of I Fought the Law. I think that was the first performance since the Born in the USA tour, right? I believe you are correct. And then we got Rosie and American Land, and the show ended with Dancing in the Dark. Now, I think Bruce wanted to give the crowd something very high to go out on, and that was why he audible to Dancing in the Dark. On the set list was Sam Cooke's Let the Good Times Roll, which we had heard being soundchecked prior to the show and really sounded great. So uh, on that note, a little sad that that one didn't actually get performed. But just from beginning to end, a high-octane show, you can hear it, the crowd on this release. And it was probably the smallest crowd of the summer. It was not a full arena by any sense of the imagination. Yeah, that's that's what he says, that they're few, but they are mighty. And they they do bring it. They do bring it quite, quite well. And they were definitely in concert that night with each other. We were. It was one of those nights, I, just as it was unfolding, And it helps explain what happened two nights later. They'd been playing that entire month of August where that whole arena run was really at a tremendous level. And then they came here to Nashville. And and I know the Jacksonville and the Richmond shows were also excellent. And this Nashville show was excellent. And then we got the St. Louis two nights later and complete magic happened that night. Yeah. The only show I saw in that, in that run was, was Richmond. And I could tell that, that was a hot show, and it was definitely they were definitely headed in that upward trajectory that that resulted in uh, in Nashville and then St. Louis, and then the hangover of Kansas City. But we can uh, leave that one out. Kansas City is a weird one. It just had a strange vibe as it veered back and forth from songs for the diehards to songs for the masses in Kansas City. A couple of people asked if we think that that one will be released and. I don't know. I kind of doubt it because it's a little too uneven, especially with having Max and Susie each sing a song. I'm not betting on it. Yeah, there are too many novelties in that one. And and as you said, it really made for a disjointed show that in the end, set lists or not, rarities or not, it just didn't quite work. No, that show didn't gel in the same way that Nashville and St. Louis did for sure. It was a good show, not knocking it. Tremendous fun but definitely not the same caliber. Now, before we move on to our main topic tonight, what are we thinking from here? Christmas release. I know a lot of people are talking about Born to Run. There has not been a Born to Run release in 2022. 
We haven't had a Devils and Dust released in a while, but I'm guessing they wouldn't release a solo show for Christmas. Any thoughts? I'm just going to guess a, a Born to Run show. It's, it would be kind of weird to have two holiday releases in a row from the same tour, probably from the same month. We know they recorded several shows in December of 75. My guess would be the the Tower on December 30th, the night before the 31st, which was one of the first releases way back in early 2015. And then I would expect a, a Devils and Dust show like in January. I think that would be a good time to do it. And I'm hoping we get one in February, that February 3rd, before they really do a, a full pause for the tour. But uh, not holding my breath. I'm just kind of hoping there. Well, let's not step on our next episode. When the Christmas release does come out, we're going to do one more episode for the year covering that release. And we're also going to touch a little bit on where we see the archive series going from here. And now that so many of these shows have been released, what's left and what do we think? But that'll be the next time. That sounds good. We'll have a lot of fun with that one, as, as we always do. Now, should we move on to tonight's topic? Yes. One of the most productive uh, eras of Bruce's career, in my opinion, the the Born in the USA sessions, 82 to 84, and he released 12 songs on the album, a few more B-sides, and 20 more cents, and, but there's still a lot to go in there. But we're going to talk about the release stuff tonight. Yeah, this turned out to be very relevant. We had said we were going to do this anyway because we had done our Born in the USA look a few episodes back, but then he made the comments in that Rolling Stone piece about the Born in the USA session, so it works out well for us. What we're going to do is... And I think this is interesting. We're going to not do it track by track. Instead, we're going to do it by period in the recording sessions over those two years. And it, I was fascinated as I was going over the material, the difference between, say, May 82 to the spring of 83 is really quite significant in terms of the type of material, the tone. So we, we thought we would break it down that way. Now, when you say spring of 83, you mean the May and June sessions, right? Yes. Because I think the, the Hollywood Hill solo sessions extended from uh, January to March. And to me, March is, March is the springtime and, and June is the summer. But uh, that's the semantics there. <laughs> yes. I was referring to the spring band sessions. Okay. Which started in late May. But yeah. So we're going to start with uh, with what? Uh, January of 82 when Bruce and the E Street Band, they really went into the studio to start working on the, on the Gary U.S. Bonds album. That would come out later that year. I think that's dedication. They worked on about, what, six or seven songs I ended up on that album, and plus Lion's Den and Cover Me and, and Protection. Yeah, and Lion's Den, it's, I guess, was that even for U.S. Bonds? And did, he, did they do that as sort of like a sample? What was the story with that? I don't think we really know. I think it, it could have been. And it just, I don't know if if the intention was, here, here, Bonds, this is for you, or if they just recorded it and they Bruce said, you know, I'll, I'll keep it for, for potential use later or what. I'm not really sure we, we know the whole story. It certainly doesn't seem like a like a Bonds track, but but that's me. Now, of course, that was released on tracks in 1998, and I guess that was when they added the horns. Yes, yeah, the horns were added in 98. So that's recorded in January. Then you get two other big songs, Protection, which is, as we were talking about in the last episode, perhaps the best remaining outtake, period. <laughs> Probably so, that we, that we know about anyway. Right, that we know about. <laughs> yeah, and Cover Me. 
I was surprised because I don't think I had realized that Cover Me was recorded that much before Drop On Down and Cover Me. When we were talking in the last episode about are they the same song or are they adjacent? Really, they're two totally different songs. You're right. You were the one saying that in the last episode (laughs) because they were recorded 18 months apart, which just seems incredible. Yeah, it does. You would have thought they would have been that one would have basically segued into the other, that he would have reworked drop down and cover me and to just cover me or vice versa. But no, they were over, as you said, nearly 18 months apart. So by February of 82, cover me is recorded. Of course, that's one of the top 10 singles on board in USA. So they're already underway planning this record. Obviously, as we've discussed in other recent episodes, he's sitting on Nebraska, which they're trying to figure out how to get out into the world. And Then they reconvene in May of 1982. Now, we're going to spend, I think, a significant time on this month. This is one of the most prolific months I would imagine they've ever spent in the studio. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. In addition to they recorded seven songs that would end up on Born in the USA, more than half the album, plus Murder Incorporated, Good Man is Hard to Find, My Love Will Not Let You Down. Wage of the Sin, This Hard Land, and Frankie. I mean, they had an album right there. And it's, I don't know if it was just a testament to Bruce's dedication to the original Nebraska material that prevented them from just releasing that. And later that year, they could have released the album in September, started the tour then. But uh, they said no, or Bruce said no, I want to get this acoustic stuff, the solo stuff out in its truest form. And, you know, then it took another two years for this stuff to finally get out. I think, as we know, it must go beyond that because he didn't seem totally comfortable with this material, which seems shocking now, analyzing it 40 years later, that you could have this batch of material and not be this is a hit record. The the songs you just named uh, right there. uh, Well, obviously, they had Born in the USA. They had Murder, Inc. They had Glory Days. Working on the highway in Darlington County were also recorded around the same time, right? Yes, yes, they were. They were all right there. Yeah. It's 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 remarkable. And it, when you look at these songs individually, let's talk first about A Good Man is Hard to Find. Do you sense that that gives some indication of what Electric Nebraska might have sounded like? I believe so. That kind of understated, very low-key music with, with Bruce kind of whispering or low-key singing singing over it. I kind of expect that's how Highway Patrolman and Mansion on the Hill and, and even Nebraska sounded like in, in the full band arrangement. But then again, you, you got stuff like Atlantic City and and, uh, and Open All Night, which those are pretty much, uh, those are rockers, as Bruce himself said at the time. And this one, A Good Man is Hard to Find, another in his series of Vietnam tales. By that point, obviously, they had Born in the USA and then he, I guess, I don't know when Shut Out the Light was recorded because it kind of came out of his demo, Vietnam, which he had been working on in late 1981, as I guess as he was trying to write the song Born in the USA. So I kind of wonder when that one was fully realized. But, but that one, of course, wasn't recorded for nearly another year. Right. And if you take also Murder, Inc. here now, as we talked about in the Born in the USA episode, there was one version of the track listing, which people can see if they go to Bruce Base, where Born in the USA was going to be followed by Murder Incorporated, and that would have just been incendiary. <laughs> yeah, that would have just uh, knocked down the door and, and grabbed you by your face uh, with that opening punch. It's 
a wonder as to why they wound up not putting Murder, Inc. on the record. As soon as it leaked out, it became a total fan favorite. And, and we know that eventually led to it being released on Greatest Hits, the, the version that was recorded in these sessions, not a re-recording. But looking back on it now, as we've said before, it's hard to criticize anything about Born in the USA. <laughs> it has sold 30 million records. But the quality of some of this material, just it's incredible that it, it gets left on the cutting room floor. Now, as we're going to talk about later in the episode, then this sort of jousting develops between the people who are still for this material, most notably Chuck Plotkin, as Bruce is recording song after song after song for another 18 months. And Chuck is saying, why are we doing this? Look at the songs we have here that we recorded 18 months ago in May of 1982. Right. It should have been obvious to Bruce that this was the heart of the album, but and, and it was. In the end, it turned out, to, as I said, over half the album. Uh, but it could have been it could have been done. Leaving My Love Will Not Let You Down on the cutting room floor just seems so bizarre to me. But I guess it was meant to, to stay dormant until they went out on the reunion tour. I'm looking at the track listing. Now, this is believed to be authentic, right? Uh, Bruce Bass has a track listing that was compiled for those sessions, which include Frankie, This Hard Land, Murder Incorporated, and My Love. That is uh, authentic, right? Yes. I Bruce Bass that does their best, and they do it really well to keep all the information as accurate as they can possibly ascertain it. Uh, I know they've, they've talked to a lot of the people who were directly involved in, in the recording process. That's fantastic. And I'm looking at it. It really, this would have been one hell of a record now. As it was, obviously, what resulted was one hell of a record. <laughs> uh, what do you make of something like Wages of Sin, which is also from this time period? Uh, and perhaps another song that gives a little hint into Electric Nebraska. Yeah, that's a, that's a song that maybe just cut a little bit too close to the bone, that he was a little bit too honest with it. And it obviously kind of came out of my father's house so they share a bunch of the same lyrics and but yeah that's probably how it how nebraska sounded with the band as i said you throw that one with the good man is hard to find highway patrolman it would just it would just would have fit right in except for the fact that it's more of a relationship song than than anything on, on nebraska you do wonder if that's why some of these songs got left off wages and i know that you just mentioned they quote uh cut too close to the bone. I think that's something Bruce said that Brian Hyatt reported in his book, right? Yes, that's exactly where I was coming from. And uh, But yeah, I, I mean, I heard heard that at the time or when I was listening to it, like, wow, this sounds like a relationship gone bad. And Bruce, he had a bunch of those. So this is probably a little bit too, uh, a little bit too close to the truth. And it probably played itself out more than once in his life. This Hard Land, you would think, maybe doesn't fall into that category. It really has sort of his mission statement at the time, one would think. Stay hard, stay hungry, stay alive. If you can, meet me in the dream of This Hard Land. That one, I don't think, falls into the same category as you were just talking about. Do you? You mean in terms of being personal? Well, it's personal, but I don't think it's too personal, like touching on a nerve. No, not at all. I, I mean, this our land is, as he said about uh, on the Joe tour about community and brotherhood and every Western film he ever saw. That one's more of a. It may be personal, but it's more of a good personal. 
makes a difference, and I'm sure it did. Whereas Wages of Sin is very much on the negative part of of, of his personal life. Right. That's what I was alluding to. This one is about finding community, which is something he was doing at the time. And and I think he would explore that even more as these sessions went on. Yes, absolutely. Especially when you get to summer of 83. Now, of course, he right. but but in early of 83, in the early part of 83, when he was doing those Hollywood Hills solo sessions, I think he took a few steps backwards, but uh, he was able to, I think, to reach back out to the community of the band, at least back in, in May of, of 83. My love also falls, I think, into that category of him sort of stating what he's looking to do. Uh, Chuck Plotkin was making this point in Brian's book that uh, my love is a promise to someone he's looking for. And I, and I think that that was very reflective of his mindset at the time. He was looking for this person, the same person perhaps he's singing about in Cover Me, and he's saying to them, my love will not let you down. It's it's a completely blunt statement. If you let me in and I give you my love, I promise I'm going to be there for you. Is that how you read that? <laughs> uh, I guess so. I guess I guess that's the reading of it. And but it's just the fact that when he's searching for someone, he is searching for them, and he's going to see them across the across the dance floor, and and he's not going to let them down. And so in that case, you're right, but. Uh, it's 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 a pretty hard rocking song to say that. I know you've gone over a lot of the logs and and all of that stuff. Has there ever been a month like this where he recorded this many songs that wound up being not only the core of one record but the a uh, huge chunk of tracks? Uh, there's certainly nowhere near the number of darkness outtakes on tracks that are as notable as, as we have here, right? Well, I think there are, aren't there only like two two songs on tracks from Darkness, "Bring on the Night" and "Don't Look Back." Oh, "Give the Girl a Kiss." I guess that's yeah, but it's only like three. I think the majority of the darkness stuff ended up on the Promise, uh, you know, like thirty years later. Um, and I, but I haven't gone through say the River sessions to see exactly when stuff was recorded. I really dive deep into 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 this Born in the USA stuff uh, just this week. I really really got into it. I even went through the uh, some of the copyrights and the from that were transferred as part of the big Sony deal earlier this year, and really looked at that stuff and saw a bunch of song titles I had even I had never even heard of. If we don't know the song titles. Before we're not going to know any recording history or even what era it's from, but but so yeah, I can't say that definitively that May '82 was the most productive of his career, but damn close. The other thing is, you bring up the promise, and this may be somewhat controversial, although I don't really think so. The material we're talking about here is far superior than what's on the promise. Uh, this hard land, Frankie. Murder, Inc., My Love, some of the other songs, including Wages of Sin, I, I think that is artistically a lot better than what's on The Promise. Oh, okay, I'm not sure I agree with you. Okay. I, I think the, the darkness stuff, The Promise material was was very different. It wasn't, it wasn't always hard rocking. It was more of a... He, I think he said at the time, or at the time of The Promise release, that he had these pop songs that he would write, and and yeah, those I think a lot of the songs on on the promise are from that kind of pop genre that that he was playing with. So I just think they're very different songs. Now, I think 
obviously Bruce disagrees with me, but I think there's at least another two dozen songs from from this period that would make a great great double album, just like they promised it. Call it uh, I don't know, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't thought about what to call it, but uh, Unsatisfied Heart. There you go, <laughs> Unsatisfied Heart, the the new album from Bruce Springsteen covering eighty two to eighty four sessions. Um, that's just my dream, and I think it's there. I don't know how it's not. But maybe Bruce hasn't listened to this stuff recently, or maybe he's just his own his own worst critic, as he has been known to be. Well, let's talk about that and move on from these sessions where now they're sitting on this batch of material, which certainly is outstanding. I, I whatever Bruce's insecurities about it must have been. I would think that, especially as it pertained to Born in the USA and some of the other tracks, he had to know that they had gold there. Uh, Now, Born in the USA was on every track listing that was ever created. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) I think Glory Days was as well. Uh, Was working on everyone. All right. And I'm on fire. I thought those. I don't think so. Oh, wow. I don't don't think their working was. Okay. Yeah. But they. uh... Yeah, those two songs, Born in the USA and Glory Days. That's- oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was. Okay. Working's on Phase 2. I'm on Fire's on Phase 2. Uh, no, they're not on Phase 3. So, <laughs> okay. But let's, let's continue. Let's continue. So now they've stopped recording. He did a lot yeah. of playing on the shore. Well, they stopped recording with the band. And I, and I think they, they realized that as, the, as mid-May rolled around that Bruce wanted to – wanted to present the Nebraska material as it was and not as, and not with the band. He wanted to to do the acoustic stuff that he recorded in his bedroom in January 3rd of 82. So the band went their separate ways and Bruce decided to, uh, to try to work with what, what Chuck blocking and Toby Scott to get it down. And, and then, yeah, then he spent every Sunday night at the pony playing with cats. <laughs> but at some point they move at the, out here to Los Angeles because that's when the Hollywood Hills recording starts, correct? Well, what happened was that they finally got um, they finally got Nebraska out, and then what? He took a, I guess, an early January of '82. I guess he was looking for something, so he he and his friend Matt they drove across the country and got to California and they set up Bruce set up his own little studio. I guess he really liked the way the process of that he recorded in Nebraska and said, "I'm going to set up camp here and see what I can do with this." drum machine and synthesizer and and f- so for january through march of 83 he recorded a, an album's worth of of material in that setup and this of course is where there's a number of songs that are unreleased that people can hear if they know where to look for them as we like to say but it, there's the clansman unsatisfied heart one love. Uh, am I missing anything? Fugit- that- Fugitive's dream. These are key songs, and that's why his statements to Rolling Stone recently were so bewildering. Because <laughs> this is stuff really it, that deserves to be out there. Oh yeah, I think you have an album right here, and I think what you said about if people know where to find it, well, I'll just tell you it's on the lost masters. Uh, I think it's on disc 13 or so. Um, and that's basically an album and it serves, it may not be chronological order, but it is the, the bridge between solo Nebraska and the full, full band born in the USA. And what's interesting is I'm sitting here looking at, at the songs. You're right. You, you've got big songs, big, deep songs like Klansman, 
Fugitive's Dream, Unsatisfied Heart, followed that dream. But then you got stuff like Betty Jean and Seven Tears and Little Girl Like You and Delivery Man, so which are just fun little ditties, basically. And it's such a such a contrast to the incredibly serious stuff he was also writing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. And as we know, a number of release songs come out of these sessions, most notably, I think, Shut Out the Light. Well, by, by number, you mean two. There's Shut Out the Light and Johnny Bye Bye. What about County Fair? Uh, I thought the version of County Fair that was on Essential was actually recorded with the band in, in May of 83. Now, am I, am I wrong in that? I mean, you are correct. County Fair was indeed first recorded out there in March of, of 83. But I thought the I, version on Essential uh, was with the band. I think Brian's book indicates, we'll have to go back and check, that the release track on Essential is the band playing, but that they pulled Bruce's vocals and guitar oh, interesting. From, from the Hollywood Hill session, sort of like a beat the demo thing. Okay, I can see that. And I thought they did a great job, and I really liked the ambiance of it. But yeah, you're right. County Fair is a big one. So you got three of them, three songs from these sessions, where it's, whereas... Should be like a whole album's worth. And Shut Out the Light really is an interesting song overall because it fits so perfectly, as you were saying, between the acoustic and the electric. It's another exquisitely written tale, very cinematic, about a Vietnam veteran arriving home. And it pairs so perfectly with Born in the USA. I guess it couldn't have gone on the actual album because they are almost... A, B, so it makes sense, especially back then it was 45s, that they would be on the opposite sides of one another. But uh, what's your sense of that? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because you have the the track listings in front of you, but didn't Shut Out the Light make one of the proposed uh, track listings for for the album? Uh, Hold on. There's so much material here. (laughs) It did, yeah. Yeah. Side one of the July 1983 album sequence cited by Bruce Bass was... Born in the USA, Cynthia, None But the Brave, Drop On Down, Shut Out the Light, Johnny, Bye Bye. Okay. So. Now, that's interesting. I, what I will say is that is a much weaker <laughs> record than was eventually released. And we're going to get Chuck Plotkin certainly <laughs> agrees with that statement. Yeah, he certainly he did not make his uh, – he did not hide his feelings on that. He, he, he spoke truth to power. But, but let me go back to Shut Out the Light quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the way I look at it is shut out the light is what happens is obviously the path, the journey the guy, the Johnson Lanier makes from uh, Vietnam to home. 
And then to me, the song Born in the USA is what happens 10 years later. But Bruce does paint a, such an amazing, you're right, cinematic, I think is the word, about describing everything that this guy went through when he when he first came home. How it's, you know, his, his wife's going to, you know, make love to him that first night and they're going to give him job back down at the factory and, and what I think they uh, polished up the Ford or something. I think that's the line. And so he's going to get his car back. And but no, none of that really happens. None of that pans out. And he 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 ends up just lost. And I don't know if he's threatening to drown himself at that last final verse or not, but he's certainly in a very dark place. Now, Shut Out the Light is a story. It's about a character who he's created and we know that. The other songs we're talking about from this period, Johnny Bye Bye and County Fair, I think are much more emotionally tied to what Bruce was experiencing at the time, don't you? Well, County Fair, I certainly would say, because he talked about it in, was in Rolling Stone interview or in his book where he was, yeah. when he was in that cross-country journey and he stopped by a, a county fair in some some little town and he just... He felt this overwhelming despair and depression about all these people who were, I think, living and loving it were, were, were his words. And there he was just disconnected from everything. And so I, he wrote the song coming out of that. And But Johnny Bye Bye is, is obviously the story of Elvis Presley. And it, that was. But I think it follows what based on what County Fair was telling. It, yes, it's the story of Elvis, but he was taking something from that, which was the message don't let the best of yourself slip away, which of course is a line he used on the tour very often. Right. He was sort of telling that to himself, I think. Uh, I'm thinking about that. I hadn't thought about that, that before. I mean, he certainly saw what, what Elvis did as a warning or some of what he did right. as a warning. That, that's exactly what I'm okay. saying. Yes. All right. I mean, he talked about, about that a lot on the, uh, on the river tour, actually um, talking about how Elvis let him, the, just this amazing person and he let everything just kind of just slip away. And then, as you said, it was on the USA tour where he talked about, don't let, don't let the best of yourself slip away. I think actually a lot of the life he's experienced from this, since this period is very reflective of that because we know uh, Bruce has, it seems uh, based on everything we know and our own personal interactions with him, he is not, become a recluse ever. He is out there. He's at the beach club. He's obviously always continued to play wherever he wants, whether it's in a club, whether it's showing up at the garden, he's out and about and he's experiencing people and he has avoided what happened to Elvis. And when I was watching the recent Elvis movie, which I enjoyed quite a bit, I was thinking of Bruce's words the whole time as that movie was coming to a close. Don't let the best of yourself slip away because it, it was so tragic seeing what Elvis became. And I think Bruce did understand it, when you have that level of fame, that can happen if you allow it. And he resolved never to allow it. And hes he, I think he's been very successful at making sure it didn't. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And and regarding this batch of recordings, I remember reading in, uh, in Dave Marsh's book that Bruce was tempted to release this as an album, but fortunately he was he was talked out of it by, by Landau, I guess probably Sony as well, or Columbia, about how two non-East Street records in a row might be a little bit more than his fan base could handle. Even, even if now, 40 years later, I'm sitting here going, he should release this as an album. But at the time, <laughs> at the time it was ready. At the time, it was time to go back to the band. How about that? 
It's really surprising that Unsatisfied Heart never made any of the track listings now that I'm looking at them. But I agree with you. There there was no way. First of all, Sony obviously was aware what had been recorded, I'm sure, <laughs> the year before. And Landau knew it, it, the, what went on here is really crazy. Now, I think Bruce... At one point, I forget what show it was, but he's playing one of these outtakes and he's like, this is one I threw out because I was, who knew what neuroses I was going through at the time? Something like that. You don't remember what show that was or what song it was? Yeah, I don't. Oh, man. Didn't he also say that recently in one of the interviews alluding, oh, it was, I may have been the Rolling Stone interview. Like, why didn't the track stuff come out? I don't know. We got to go back and check that. But it's... they come they come back and they start recording more it's just unbelievable (laughs) well hold on i think you might be referring to nashville where he talked about i'm going down and he said it's as almost pink cadillac or any other number of songs that i could have put on it go back oh right go back and listen to that i think that's it i think that's it but it's unbelievable that they've now got uh, how many songs are we up to so far probably 40 (laughs) or 50 right well, you got, uh, yeah, you got the 12 from, well, I don't know. Hold on here. 13. We got 13 songs that it ended up released. Uh, God, 13, 20. Yeah, probably about 30. No, eh, closer to 40. I think you're right. Yeah. Whatever the total is, now in the spring of 1983, with this incredible trove of material he's sitting on, they now start recording again. Well, Bruce. Now, well, Bruce obviously agrees. Okay, I cannot release the solo material, the solo stuff, as another album. So let's get the band back together and head head back to New York. It, they wind up back at the power station, and now they start recording again. Now this is a good group of songs, good, but pales in comparison, <laughs> yeah. to what was recorded in May of 1982. And we'll start with Cynthia. Now it's a fun. Little energetic ditty, uh, I'll say. And I've always liked it. I like the riff. But it's not Murder Incorporated. Well, no, but nothing is. And and I agree with you. I love Cynthia. I think it's a tremendous song. And it was actually one that he he, he, he had written uh, as part of the Hollywood Hills solo sessions. And he But he took it back to the band. And, and they did a phenomenal job with it. And it would have been a cool little song. But, but you're right. Uh, I want to call it fluffy. Uh, at least fluffy compa- is a good compared to the other material on Born in the USA. But then again, you know, is working on the highway or, or Darlington County fluffy, and that's that's kind of another question to to ask. But when you put it with other stuff like car wash and TV movie and uh, Pink Cadillac, all of a sudden it does seem a little bit more, shall we say, lighthearted than where he was a year a year prior. Yeah, I, I just think the entirety of the songs here, they're just totally lacking in an intensity that they had achieved earlier in the sessions the year before. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Even though, you know, they did record uh, Sugar Land and Richford Whistle, Richfield Whistle, and Unsatisfied Heart in June of 83 with the band. It still doesn't really uh, counteract stuff like TV, movie, and car wash. I'm sorry. I didn't, <laughs> so Unsatisfied Heart with the band, that is never leaked, correct? No. No, it has not. Oh, we yeah. Bruce, yeah. put that one on your list too if you happen to be <laughs> listening because we need to hear that. Yeah, there were there were about four or five songs recorded, eh, five, five or six that were recorded with uh, just a solo setup in, in, in the Hollywood Hills that were 
brought to the studio with, with the for the band to record it in May. So yeah, that stuff should it should be out there, but that's but that's us. Car wash is a song from these sessions. It's definitely it's notable because it's written clearly from a female perspective, which he has not done a lot, but it's not a great song. It's it's fun. I work down in the car wash. I mean, it's well, it, my- it almost seems like a, a parody of a Bruce Springsteen song. The whole idea of working down at the car you wash. Me like no? in me like in Downbound Train. He works at the car wash in Downbound Train too, and it's a that's a lot darker song. But yeah, car wash does kind of sound. Uh, hey, yeah, parody might be a might might be a, the right word, but really. But let's talk about our, our, our namesake song, None But to Brave. It was almost right. as if he was trying to write by numbers. It's like, let's get the cars in there and the guitars and the girls and, you know, the screaming sax solo and the screaming guitar solo. I mean, it had, it had all the elements of a Bruce song without, you know, soul. I don't know that I fully agree with that now. Obviously, this is not a favorite of Chuck Plotkin, as we've discussed before. <laughs> None of these are. Perhaps at some point we'll try and get Chuck on. We can talk about these sessions if he's willing. This one, it's, again, should it have been on the record? Is it better than what was released? I don't think you can say that. I do think it is a quality outtake, and I'm glad it got released later on. And <laughs> We obviously liked it enough to name our show after it. Yeah. Same here. I, I do like it. I'm glad he released it, and I, I want to hear it again in concert. I feel like the only times I've heard it were at those holiday shows in 2003. So I keep hoping to, to hear it again. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it just it would not have done – not have moved the needle much on Born in the USA. It probably would have moved it back. Now, before we go totally sloshing off these these sessions, he 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 did have a nice little um, uh, rockabilly thing going on between Pink Cadillac, Stand On It, and TV Movie. I thought I thought those that little trio there that's that's a, it's fun. It's not deep. It's it's just fun. It's definitely not deep. Now I think Pink Cadillac is the best of that trio. Needless to say, it became a pretty big sensation on its own, especially for a B-side <laughs> yeah, it when did. it was released. And uh, another song that apparently Chuck did not like. Now, Pink Cadillac also became a centerpiece of the tour. I think the great effect, the the story about Mesopotamia and uh, when Adam touched a woman for the first <laughs> time, That that's just great stuff. And it, that's the kind of thing I think in a way he is acknowledging the song is a little bit silly, but the story <laughs> is, is fleshing that out in such a way that's so entertaining. You, you just want to go with it. Yeah, it's true. It really did lend itself to, to that kind of uh, storytelling at the show and, and have, and to have fun with it. But uh, Chuck Block and definitely preferred the Nebraska version of it, which almost ended up on tracks. It actually made a made the six, a six disc version of it at the time, but, obviously didn't didn't come to pass and that's another song that should be out there as well the other song from this month that and we mentioned this the last time the idea that there's no remaining outtakes drop on down and cover me needs to be released i think it's a really interesting piece it may be a little would you say it's over the top is that what the <laughs> problem with it was you know i don't know i i like the guitar riff on it i liked it sounds a lot like roulette a lot of a lot of guitar licks sound like those in Roulette, and I like the j- way the drums, the, the rolling, rocking 
drums really work on it. But yeah, I don't know why it's why it's it hasn't been released, and it should be. That's that's for sure. And Light of Day was another song done uh, during this time period. And obviously, people know the story about uh, he had a, Bruce had a script called Born in the USA, and then he stole the title from Paul Schrader. And Light of Day was his uh, his payback for that. So now, after all this, what are we up to now? Fifty songs, maybe a little bit more. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. There, there's now a new track listing put together, and it, Bruce is basically he's just locked up. Whatever's going on in his head, it's, he can't make a decision. So now Landau puts together his own track list and that really emphasizes May of 82, right? I believe so. You have it in front of you. I, I, yeah. I don't. Can, yeah. can you go ahead and reel it off? Uh, it, well, he had born in USA, which of course we know I'm going down, cover me, my hometown and Bobby Jean on side one, my love, follow that dream, glory days, protection, Janie, don't you lose heart, and I'm on fire on the flip side. That actually would have been a very strong album. Yes, it would have. That would have worked really well. That would have worked really well. But uh, but Bruce wasn't ready. <laughs> he was par- well, paralyzed by I, fear, to say the least. And then... It, it says here on Bruce Base he was suffering from writer's block. I don't know that I can actually agree <laughs> with that statement because not. At I mean, all. if you write if you write fifty songs and then you can't write anymore, you're not suffering from writer's block. You're just done. But they weren't done, and I mean, incredibly, they had all these songs dating back to all the way in early 1982. And they're still in September of 1983. They start recording even more songs, and that lasts for like another five months. Like what? What is it? Like September to February. So yeah, yeah, I guess about about five the, months. The fascinating thing about this is how was Sony letting this go on? This was pre-born in the USA, so he had not yet become a sensation. We know from his own telling of the story after the River Tour, he did not have a lot of money left in the bank. He, they'd never saved up. We know about the lawsuit and all of that. And here they're just going, uh, this must have cost an absolute fortune to record this record. Now, of course, it all works out well. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they were paid back but, in spades, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we really should look into, and I don't know if anyone knows this, what the communications at the time were between Label and Landau and the artist, because they must have been, just like, would you send over a record already? <laughs> well, I think the best story of that would have been in in Marsh's book, uh, Glory Days. But I'm not. It's been a while, and that's not not part that uh, I've basically memorized. But you can bet they were frustrated. Uh, and but they were. I assume there was enough respect there that if Bruce felt he didn't have the album he wanted to release, that they were going to let him go a little bit more. And at least Landau, I'm sure, was on Sony's side or Columbia, whoever, just in Bruce's ear saying, come on, let's let's get this done. And that obviously led to the conversation that uh, the legendary conversation where Landau said, I don't hear a single. And <laughs> Bruce says, I've written 80 songs. You want a single? You fucking write it. But of course, that ended up in the ended up resulting in the uh, biggest hit of his career. Yes. And we talked about this when we did the Born in the USA episode. There was such an anticipation building amongst the fan base. One wonders now, looking back on it, if this 
very lengthy delay actually wound up helping them because it let everything build. To, <laughs> it, there was like so much pressure. Now they delivered. Now, the interesting thing here is he did deliver because there was so much pressure when that first single arrived and people had been waiting for so long and there had been so much about the record, the, the, the little tidbits in Rolling Stone that we discussed, it arrived and it was totally everything that people <laughs> were hoping for. Yes, it was. And yeah, it hit big. And, uh, but he has, he had about what, 15 more songs to record after from September yeah. to February. And, I guess most of them we haven't heard yet. We haven't heard Glory of Love. No, we have not. 100 Miles from Jackson. And Body and Soul sounds like an interesting one. It was worked on in Hollywood Hills in January, and then again in, in June, and then again in November. Uh, but And still not, not released. But you also got Man at the Top, Rock Away the Days, and obviously Dancing in the Dark. And Brothers Under the Bridges. Brothers Under the Bridges and No Surrender. So you got the Steve combo yeah. right yeah. there. That basically that Steve inspired by his departure from the band, and I think I think No Surrender and, and Dancing in the Dark are, I mean, they're the best songs to come that we know of of the yes. of the five songs we've heard from this from this era. Those are definitely the best two. I'm not a big fan of Rock Away the Days. I got to be honest with you, Hal. Not a big fan of that one. I think it just kind I, of. I've I've always thought it was catchy. Uh, it's it's insignificant it's not a major work <laughs> but i always thought it was catchy brothers under the bridges to me they made the right call there no yes. surrender is a far superior song yes i think rock away the days might have been better as an acoustic song on nebraska or at least from those sessions and and i think man at the top just is just too too countrified for me it sounds like sounds like something i would have heard on country radio at the time but uh, but obviously, it's a great song in terms of the lyrics. I mean, when he did it on the USA tour, those two times, and then when he when he did it in uh, what 2013 in Ireland, I thought that was a fantastic version of it. I think he just too much instrumentation on it uh, in January of '84. I always liked it, and I guess I should admit, I actually used Man at the Top for my senior quote in my high school yearbook. <laughs> so. <laughs> It, it had been out on bootlegs from Alpine Valley. I always that was always my favorite version of the song. Really wonderful, and who knows why that popped up there the one time? It, why it was played in Washington makes much more sense. But <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. But uh, but yeah, I mean the version he played in Alpine Valley, Valley was solo acoustic, basically. Well, it did have the backing vocals, though, right? Right. But I think those were those were were, were beautiful. I love that. It's just that it didn't have the the country music behind it that I think detracts from the, the the studio version. And you just mentioned a number of the songs we've never heard. Now we can't say Bruce released them because they're great, because of course we've never heard them. But based on the collective batch of material here, we know at least some of them have to be noteworthy and at least worth hearing. You got to think, and going through uh, the song titles and the Library of Congress records, about two dozen of them have been copywritten, and I wonder the the why there. And that's not even including the Bond stuff. It does it does that does include protection though. But under the Big Sky, I know he he came back to it in '98 actually. Um, you know, Body and Soul, as I mentioned earlier, Hundred Miles from Jackson's been copyrighted. I don't. If you felt good enough about them to copyright them, let's you know s s 
surely we can hear them. Is it possible in light of his comments that, and the idea that some of these songs have already been copyrighted, perhaps there'll be some other project that is not a Born in the USA box? It doesn't sound like they're going to be in tracks too. We know those are unreleased records. He said very specifically, it's post 80, what did he say? Post 87? I thought he said post 88, but yeah. Post 88, yeah. Same difference. <laughs> you know, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, didn't he also mention having some albums, lost albums, where the band played on? And I mean, maybe it's this will be a there will be a, a disc of USA outtakes on tracks two, part two, or whatever. But it it doesn't make much sense to me that uh, to to not do a box for the biggest album of his career. And and there's definitely songs. I want to hear the songs. I don't want to read about them. I want to hear them and make the judgment myself. And I, and someone mentioned that maybe the songs off on the, on the ties at bind box set that the new ones that he released, maybe they weren't greeted as warmly as tracks, tracks, this too, but still I'm glad he released them. I'm sure people appreciate hearing that material. Maybe they don't like it, but we want to hear it. We don't want to hear about it. I always assumed that there was going to be some kind of major box that would be called the Born in the USA box, but would really be an overview of these sessions. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you've got the Nebraska right. stuff. I don't know. Is there? Will one of these unreleased records eventually wind up being the Hollywood Hills sessions put together into an album form? I guess that is possible and would make sense because his comments, again, don't make any sense that there's nothing worthwhile there. Uh, These are songs we've heard unsatisfied heart is worthwhile. (laughs) Yep. But uh, the other thing is, and I wonder how much they know and remember from these alternate track listings, because it would be a really fascinating experiment. And I guess they could do it digitally, but the, put out all these songs so that they're all represented and then that the albums would be are as I'm thinking about it, are all these songs out there were on these potential track listings? I, I don't have it in front of me anymore because I you, guess we could do it ourselves, right? You mean out as an official release or out as in the circulating? Yes, a month? Officially released, officially released. Well, isn't Sugarland and follow that dream on some, on some of those lists? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes. So those are not out. Right, but but something how, like Johnny how, go, Johnny Go Down, which also from March '83. That's that's never on any of them, and certainly something like Swoop Man. That's not on there. Roll away the stone. So I think what you're saying is that for the most part, those songs are have all been released. Right. Okay. So because there's so much here, and it just not only is it his biggest commercial period by far. But artistically, the story that's told here, if you're in the process, which, of course, I am, the process of the making of Born in the USA is just tremendously fascinating. You know, I'm lucky because I go, as you know, to hear a lot of filmmakers talk. And uh, next week, I'm even going to get to see Avatar and Jim Cameron will be there. And I love hearing how they do it. And there's a story to be told here as to how Born in the USA was created, which people like us and Bruce Bass and Brian Hyatt, we are definitely looking at it in our own way, but it's way different than if Bruce told the story himself. Oh, exactly. I think that my biggest disappointment from his autobiography was that he really didn't talk about 
about that. He didn't talk about his artistic process when it came to creating the records. It was it was this personal journey. And now I'm sure that was intentional. He wanted to reach a larger audience. Um, I kind of doubt if you know they want to hear about, well, I they hear Bruce say, well, I prefer I'm going down the pink Cadillac because X, Y, Z. Um, so I kind of get that. But at the same time, I would like some kind of explanation, as you said, of the process that he went through, the, the thought process that went into each song and, and how he ended up where, where he did. Well, that's why you don't do it in a book. A book, as you said, I want to hear it. I don't want to read about it. The, the, the answer here is to have it as a listening experience. And there are many ways to shape it. And I just hope that they do it. It was just really, I think, caught a lot of people off guard. It certainly caught me off guard, his comments to Rolling Stone a couple of weeks ago that he wasn't planning on doing it at all. Yeah, that's that's just surprising. And especially with if you've you've done the other big three albums and here is the biggest one of his career. And I'm pretty sure I said this last time. How do you not? You know, even if it's just to release a a video of, of one of the shows from L.A., just it needs and, to be done. And the and thing it, is, they did what I'm talking about with The River. They put in the other record, the first record, The Ties That Bind. Yeah. They, they they said, we this is what happened in this process. He gave you a little bit of that process. So the fact that they don't want to do it here, it seemed like it's just, it's, it's very weird. But let's not belabor <laughs> the point. And we'll come back to it, I'm sure, at some point. And perhaps we'll be surprised and some of this material will emerge one day. Yeah. And maybe Sony will, that'll be a, uh, a persuasive argument that, that they can make and, and maybe they will make before all is said and done. So, all right. With that, I think we've now covered the born in USA session sufficiently of, of the release material. Now one day we can <laughs> cover more of the unreleased material. Uh, and in my dreams anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, we will certainly be all over that when it emerges, whether it's released or is there any hope? Well, I, we probably don't want to get into this, but is some of this stuff in the hands of the quote unquote Ubers? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Right. Well, now. So, but unfortunately that level of Uber is very high up and involves a lot of money to even think about uh, approaching them. All right. Well, that's uh, tantalizing and I frustrating guess so. at the same time. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. None But the Brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment and presented by Evergreen Podcasts. On Twitter, you can find us at NBTB Podcast. On the web, we're at None But the Brave Podcast.com. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.